not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder that this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness, and we always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. Actually, our guest, Brandy, you say you have an outro line that you say all the time. I think it might be fun to say here. I love that. Yes, I always tell people, make sure to follow through with what you're doing, creating changes and keep seeing your doctor. The goal, like some people go, oh, well, if I'm doing something else, I shouldn't see my doctor. I should avoid them. I say, no, you know what? Blow your doctor's mind with what you're capable of with your mind. And I love that people make radical changes and their doctors are amazed. So it is, it's following up with the doctors and, and seeing how incredible we all are. I love it. And Brandy Gilmore is a mind, body, and energy coach. She hosts the award-winning podcast, Heal Yourself, Change Your Mind. Brandy's discoveries for healing and life transformation began with her own devastating injury that left her painfully using a wheelchair walker and pain for years from CRPS, among other diagnoses. And she explored every possible method to heal and manage her pain. I think listeners will resonate a lot with both the conventional and alternative methods from nerve ablations to infusions and injections. She left no stone unturned. And when those approaches fell short, she delved even deeper into alternative therapies, ranging from acupuncture to reflexology, special diets, supplements, and even mystical rainforest elixirs. (laughs) That one got me up like, when you're desperate for solutions, yes. Okay. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Still, despite um, all of Brandy's best efforts, none of these remedies seem to provide lasting relief. And when those didn't work, she began working more with her mind, which we'll talk about. Brandy has been able to visually demonstrate the incredible healing power of the human mind. And she uses the science-backed medical thermal imaging to showcase the tangible results. I'm excited to talk more about that today. I think a lot of people have heard about it as it relates to mammography, right? Like breast tissue, and there's all different applications for thermal imaging. But looking at it from a inflammation or mind perspective is something that I'm excited to explore today. So Brandy, welcome to The Whole View. Can you tell us a little more about yourself? Absolutely. And Stacey, you're just beautiful. I'm happy to be here with you. So I, I love your heart. I love you. You. you care about this. It, it just, it's beautiful. So, so I love that I'm here. And yeah, as far as uh, telling you a bit about myself, as Stacy mentioned, wheelchair walker cane, I was an absolute mess. I used to do network engineering and operations. So the last thing that I ever thought that I would be doing is talking about healing with the mind. And even when I first started looking at healing with the mind, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> How is my mind going to help heal my physical body? And the more I delved into the research and things just woke me up, like, for example, people with multiple personality disorder could have different ailments when they were in different personalities and incurable ailments, such as asthma in one personality, but not in another. A woman who was blind in some personalities, not in another. And I started, you start waking up to the awareness of the power of the mind. And so it's been life changing. 
Yeah, I think some of the examples that you gave in your TEDx talk also were things like how widows are more likely to die within two years of their partner of a life partner passing or being embarrassed and then getting a physical flush or sexual thoughts leading to physical response. And so we'll talk about some of that, but I think there are a lot of things that we've talked here on the show about in order to fully understand. And I really do think that the science is starting to catch up to the idea that the mind and body are not separate. And how could they be? I cannot move my body without my mind, right? Like you can have a brain injury that physically impacts part of your body because they are truly entwined. It is not one or the other. And this idea that mental health is separate from physical health is something that I've really been focusing on the last year because it has had a huge impact in my own journey and healing. And so I loved reading your story. And there was a part of me that was a little bit like, "Mm, is this quackery? And so I went into the science super deep and we're going to share a ton of scientific references and information for a lot of the experience that you've had both personally and working with clients. So I would love if maybe we could start with just talking about the catalyst for your recovery. In your TEDx talk, you talked about it being rejected from a study and then being inspired by the idea that, while you could have been a placebo in that study and some people benefit from placebo being administered, what could that mean and how could the mind possibly affect bodies? Could you share a little more about that? Absolutely. So when I went into the study, so going through my injury, as you mentioned, I was doing nerve ablations, infusions, injections, literally everything I could think of. And that's when like magic water from the rainforest, you're like, okay, I'll try that. Like I really didn't care where the answer came from. I just wanted to get better. And so I had been hoping that there was some type of new procedure that was invented that I would get my life back. And so the hospital, one of the hospitals that I had been seeing was a top research hospital. And they called me and said, I I could be part of the study. And I thought, oh my God, like it's happening. I'm going to get my life back. And I remember counting down the days to that study. And that morning they wheeled me in my wheelchair into the study. And I was literally, they got me on the gurney. I was just laying there thinking about all the things that I'm going to do, the places that I'm going to go. I was so stoked. And then the doctor, he comes in and he says, he looks at me and he just says, Miss Gilmore, I'm sorry, we've reviewed your chart and we don't think you're going to get better. We can't help you. And, and you can't be a part of the study. And in that moment, I felt like there was a golf ball in my throat. I just was just holding back tears. I just felt like, what's the point? And the, the interesting thing is, so finally, that it was just all stressful. I woke up in my same bed and I just, my next memories, I just didn't want to live. I'm like, what is the point? I cannot live in so much pain. And then I had this thought that came into my mind. It was like, well, what about the placebo? It's like there's a known, it's a known fact that some people could get better from the placebo. And of course, I thought, well, this is ridiculous. And my first thoughts, well, maybe I could talk my other doctors into saying it was a placebo just to say if it would work. And I went down this silly uh, rabbit hole of thoughts, but it made me, it gave me some type of hope. And of course, there was still a part of my mind that was very skeptical. Like I had a physical accident, a physical injury. I had spinal end plate fractures. I had things going on. I was a mess. 
And so I didn't see how it was really possible. But then I started studying the mind and NPD, multiple personality, or now it's called disassociative identity disorder. That was something that had me start looking at the mind even more, or even the fact that almost 90, what is it? I can't remember the exact number, uh, but the majority of amputees experience physical pain, even though they don't have the limb anymore, they're experiencing pain. And so I started, I was a little bit, a little resentful maybe at the time and saying, great, well, I could amputate my whole body and I'd still have pain. This is hopeful. (laughs) I was in a rough spot at the time, just frustrated, just wanting to just get out of pain because when you have so much pain, like I just wanted to escape my body. And it's funny, Stacey, that you mentioned the, the a brain injury connected to the body. That's exactly what I started looking at it is I started thinking about if somebody has a stroke, like a right brain stroke can affect the left side of the body, a left brain stroke. So that was, there were so many different pieces that I started looking at, but I thought, how is it possible for the mind to affect the physical body? And that's when I started looking at emotions. I thought, well, if somebody's embarrassed, their face turns red or nervous stomach or sexual thought, sexual physical response. And I thought, well, how bad can emotions really affect us anyway? And then I started looking at it, the widowhood effect, failure to thrive, all of these things, scared to death. Somebody can be so scared, their heart stops. I thought, well, wait a second. If we can be so scared that our heart stops or we can die from the loss of a loved one, what are all these other emotions doing? And even though there was a part of me that thought it can't possibly be. I continued down the rabbit hole and it was just, it was eye-opening. Well, I loved watching your TED Talk and learning more about the applicability of all of this to your life and people you've been working with. At the same time, we are a super science-centered show and I want to fully disclose to everybody that on your TEDx talk, there is a note from TED that states, they flagged this talk because it appears to fall outside TED's curatorial guidelines, a number of specific claims made in this talk about healing the body with the mind are not supported by medical doctors, researchers, or the scientific community, and there is no viable research or evidence presented in the talk to support these claims. So, Which is so untrue. And today, today we're going to do the work. We're going to pull all the science, the medical doctors, the research, and the scientific community together so that We can say 100% it is absolutely supported. And I think what's also funny is a medical doctor wrote the forward to my book. So so to say these things are not supported by the medical community or even my research study was done with other doctors, like researchers and doctors. And so it's funny that it says that it's not because it is. (laughs) Yes. And I, it's why at the top of the show, we, we also say, working in tandem with medical doctors because we don't want anyone thinking that you can just positive thought your way out of cancer or something like that. But there is legitimate science to talk about both the placebo effect and how we can measure it with thermal imaging or other tests, right? Like we can see that, for example, in my case, by being a less stressed out person, I can see that my inflammation and my cortisol and hormones become regulated when I calm my body, right? Like these are things that we can measure and test. And there's lots of scientific tools out there. Does that mean that meditation is going to guarantee your healing? Of course not. 
But when we consider overall health and wellness, it's important to consider that we continue to see a growing body of evidence of the mind-body connection. I don't know if you've read this book. I highly recommend it. But both my husband and I just finished reading Tomorrow and Tomorrow. And as you mentioned, there's a character who experiences the phenomenon of phantom limb pain. Specifically, what was interesting is that it always arose when he was in stressful situations. And I loved that the author knew enough about the mind-body connection to know that the phantom limb pain would be triggered by something like that. And so one of the places that I wanted to start was talking about, you know, what this could be defined as in medical literature as the placebo effect. And so from the NIH's own website, the placebo effect is a therapeutic noise to be removed in placebo-controlled trials that was originally created that way. Um, but placebos are a reminder of how little is known about the mind-body interaction. Um, so again, I'm going to put all of these resources in the show notes for you at realeverything.com. But I want to talk about a bunch of studies that support this. So are you ready for me to throw... Science I am actually, here. as you're talking about these things, there's so many things I, I'm like, oh, I want to speak to that. Oh, well, everything you're, you're I saying. I can see you're like, <laughs> yes. So, and just to be clear, a, a few things. So the placebo is not typically, doesn't typically create always physical results or lasting results. So, but the thing of it is, this is what something was interesting, is that I used to think that the placebo happened purely because of belief. Right. So during my injury, I was trying to focus on, okay, believing I'm already healed, believing I was already healed. And I tried so hard to force that. Then I came across something called the open label placebo, where both the doctor and the patient both know it's a fake pill and it still works. And I was like, oh, well, that kind of shows it's not belief. And then other things like the placebo effect can be increased by a caring doctor-patient relationship. And so when you start to look at it, you realize that it is there, the belief, it's not convincing yourself like you believe, but it's rather positive expectation. So the feeling, so emotional shift, it goes back to that emotional shift. And then when you look at the emotions, it's they're literally written through science everywhere, even post-operative studies, so studies about following surgery, if somebody is optimistic, they heal faster, higher rate of cell proliferation, less chance of rehospitalization. But if they're stressed, fear, negativity, much higher chance of rehospitalization, slower healing, slower cell proliferation, all of these things. So it's everywhere. Absolutely. So I love that we're going here. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by Indeed, the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps, you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
even my kids used it for their first jobs because it is so easy for all ages to use. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. In the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WholeView. Just go to Indeed.com slash WholeView right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WholeView. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and I think to your point, one of the first studies that I pulled was from 2008, which said that the factors surrounding placebo are neurobiological in their underpinnings, which actually affect the brain and the body. So it's not just response bias. It's a physical neurological response in um, conditioning the immune system, hormone system, respiratory functions. It, they have monitored it in a lot of different ways. And in fact, a 2023 comprehensive review referenced the 1955, I was like, well, we're really going back in time, groundbreaking work of Henry Beecher, who was the original MD to make this discovery, that in fact, that study mentioned things like snake oil and bloodletting, which were common medicine treatments back then that had helped people in the past. And he defined them as being the placebo effect and why Beecher then went on to say that placebos have doubtless been used for centuries by wise physicians as well as by quacks. And so I think it's also important that we realize that sometimes the treatment that we may think is working for us. And so in my experience, I have been part of diet culture, super immersed for a really long time and do things like elimination diets where I convince myself X, Y, and Z are happening because I'm making all these great choices in my life. And part of it is because I feel good about the confidence that I have and the choices that I'm making and not necessarily because I'm being super careful about the types of spices that I'm putting in my foods or different kinds of things, right? Because later when I have that same confidence and I eat that food, I don't experience the thing that I thought it fixed. Uh, does that make sense? I know you've done a lot yeah, of like toying I mean, with foods and stuff. So let's be honest. Food is emotional eating. People feel guilt about eating food and then they wonder why they also feel bad. But like there's so many emotions that get triggered with food. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the brain body connection, just talking about that is something that just I think that is a part to me that was really pivotal. Um, and, and it's this it's that. Science has actually shown that emotions, PTSD, can actually shape the brain. Like it can actually uh, create damage to the brain, if you will. And so that's one thing to think about. Another thing that was really pivotal to me uh, in going through my injury is the cortical homunculus. Okay, so the homunculus map, which this is what's brilliant. And if you're not familiar with it, it's like a neurological map that shows the brain-body connection. So. Basically, uh, neurosurgeons um, in the early 1900s discovered that 
Our foot is located in one area of the brain where our hands are located in a different and the face is in a different. And so if we look at like the somatosensory cortex and we look at how the brain is laid out, basically different parts of the body are in different parts of the brain. And so what I started looking at, it was I started looking at, okay, well, what if different emotions are triggering in different areas of the brain that then are affecting the body? So if an emotion triggers in one area, then it could affect the leg. If it triggers in another area, then it could affect the shoulder. And so that's what I started really looking at is the brain-body connection. Now, what's interesting is a lot of people uh, used to think that emotions were all centered in the amygdala, but research has actually shown that they do create neural activity throughout the brain. So just, there's just so many ways going back to the analogy we talked about or the example we talked about earlier of the stroke. If somebody has a stroke on the left side, then it affects the right side. And so we can see just so much evidence between that brain-body connection. That's fascinating about the emotions and makes sense in terms of the neural connections that it would make. We also know that things like smiling more, even if you're not happy, will actually change your outlook and your mood, right? Like just physically forcing yourself to smile more if you're unhappy will have an impact on your mood. And that's vice versa, right? Instead of your mind impacting your body could then impact your mind. So it is this cycle that science is becoming more and more aware of. One of the things that I was surprised to learn in some of my research was from a 2014 uh, publication that talked about the nocebo effect, which defined negative responses to placebo interventions. So this idea that someone would be influenced by something so profoundly that it would cause a malady or you would believe it to have caused it such thing and then to experience the physical ailments. And I think that is why knowing the mind work that you're doing and collaborating with professionals and checking the test results and doing these kinds of things are important because if you're doing something like neural repathway work, we did a show where we talked about the help that ketamine can do to open up your mind and allow you to remap your neural pathways and to reduce suicidality and depression and things like that. And part of the reason that you do that in tandem with a medical professional and someone to guide you through that is to ensure that you're not going to have one of these negative effects, right? Where if you experience stress during that time period, you're creating a neural pathway the opposite direction that you want to. I'm curious, Brandy, in the research that you've done and the mind work that you've gone on to work with others on, what you've seen in terms of positive effect and some of the negative mindset, right? Have you experienced someone who had a nocebo effect, who did something with a different practitioner that caused that sort of like, well, after I worked with this person and they told me this, I started feeling physical symptoms got worsened or I'm curious if that's come up for yeah. you. Yeah. See, when it comes to the nocebo placebo, this is the thing. There's more to it than people are like, I like to speak about the science that is medically shown, right? Because, because then you can see it. Now, first and foremost, so 
would I say, have I seen people that have had negative experiences and had negative issues with a practitioner? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say it also comes down to emotions, or I would say it comes down to using your mind in the wrong way. And I've seen people, I've seen people before tell others, tell people to welcome the negative emotion. Well, if negative emotions are affecting the body, you don't want to welcome the negative emotion. That's not going to go well. So, so I've seen a lot of errors in working with the mind. Now, if we're really, if we're, if we're going to go outside of the box a little bit more for a moment and you're, and talking about the nocebo, this is how I see it. And I would say this is far outside the box, but here we go. So if somebody has a nocebo, let's say a nocebo. So nocebo is, let's say a sugar pill. Somebody's taking the placebo. It's an inner sugar pill and they take the pill. Now, if they're told that it can give them hives, it can. If they're told it can increase their blood pressure or cause, like they can have whatever negative side effects that it's saying. Or the placebo, somebody can take the placebo and they can be told that it's, you know, that it's going to help their blood pressure and it does. And somebody else can be told it's going to help Parkinson's and it does. And so why is it that the body can respond to exactly what it's being told? That to me was a fascinating point. And so that's the part of even with my book, Master Your Mind and Energy, is I started looking at energy. And that was a huge breakthrough for me. So, so I think what's missing nocebo, placebo, is also that thing. Like, how is it possible that it communicates different information? That was a huge thing. And when I started looking at energy, there's energy in the body. So our cells, most people think it's like maybe a spiritual or metaphysical belief, but our cells actually emit something called biophotons. And the easiest way to think about a biophoton is to think about a, a light bulb that emits a photon or a particle of light. Our bodies emit invisible particles of light. And so what's interesting is that this was actually discovered by medical science in the 1920s. And the man who discovered them was it was nominated for 11 Nobel Prizes. And so for the Nobel Prize, 11 times. And so, and won the USSR Prize. He was, and so what's interesting is that we have light energy in our body. Now, the problem is it's hard to measure. And also a lot of medical science was done on cadavers. And so for a long time, medical science hasn't fully accepted it. However, now it's being studied by Harvard. Now it's in the Smithsonian. So there are all of these research studies being done on biophotons. And so in my own opinion, because biophotons are shown, research has shown that they can communicate information to the cells. And you might think, well, wait a second, how can light communicate information? But if you think about cell phones, they're run from fiber optics, which is light, cable TV, our internet, it's all run off of light. So, so either way, what research has shown that is in the Smithsonian, that is being studied, that is in top research medical hospitals, is that we have light energy that goes throughout our body that does communicate information. So I would say that's the other like subtle hidden factor uh, about that was something that was um, also pivotal to me about energy and I, uh, about energy of the body, because I, I, I thought it was all spiritual woo-woo personally. And then I was like, oh, wait a second, there is energy in the body and it is medically validated and it isn't the Smithsonian and it is, it's just, and more and more top hospitals are researching it. So I would say that there's another component 
that that's also still hidden. And, and like you wisely said in the very beginning, just that when it comes to things like this with the placebo, it, it shows how little research knows about the mind. I think the concept of energy is still woo for most people. And I'm in a very similar place as it sounds like you are, where I'm like, I am so excited for the information that's going to come out from the research that's now being done around energy in general. And I think like, not to get off on my own tangent, but I also think about it when you think about, I don't know if you've seen the movie Frozen, but I think a lot of listeners will have seen that movie. And they talk about how water has memory and that the water that is in our cells and in the earth Almost every single drop of water has been in a dinosaur, has been recycled on this earth for so long that if we can potentially measure the energy that exists in both humans, but all around us and understanding the potential for the impact that it has without our awareness, like it's mind blowing to think of what we don't know yet, right? It is. Oh, and even diabetes. So diabetes has different patterns of energy. So people with diabetes can have increased biophoton emissions from the navel area, but then decreased from the forehead and the throat compared to somebody who's healthy. Cancer cells can have increased biophoton emissions, which is interesting because you always hear people say, well, hurry up and make sure and lift your energy. And or they say, well, I want to make my cells emanate my more energy. And it's like, well, wait a second. It's not just about emanating more energy because technically cancer cells emit more energy. It's about understanding energy and how it really works also and that there's patterns and frequencies. And, and it's not just lifting the frequency. It's understanding. There, there's just, it's, it's incredible. And what's, what was pivotal for me, even as I was going through my research is the awareness that our own minds influence energy. For example, there was a research study that showed people who were visualizing white light had increased white light emitting from one side of the brain, but not the other. And so it, it just, it, it's fat and emotions. People who are angry, it actually increased biophoton emissions. So there, there is, it's cutting edge. Like you said, it's just that it's fascinating with all the new research that's coming out. This podcast is sponsored by Every Plate, America's best value meal kit. Looking to budget your food expenses in the new year? Save big and eat great with America's best value meal kit. Their meals are cheaper than your average fast casual meal, so ditch the takeout to save money while still enjoying fresh, satisfying meals. They're the easiest way to eat affordably. Put the money you save towards making 2024 plans. I am currently traveling and let me just tell you food expenses are something that is keeping us all from living our best lives and if you can save money like I am doing with every plate I highly recommend it I sincerely cannot believe what a huge difference using meal kits has made for our family and I specifically no longer carry the mental load and burden of meal planning we choose our meals online, the kids all have a night to cook, and it is a magical. The instructions are easy to follow, the food is fresh, and sincerely, we would not be eating it if the flavors were not delicious. In 2024, you can count on every plate to make mealtimes easier without compromising on quality. 
Every plate recipes include only the highest quality ingredients, including sustainably sourced seafood that meets the Monterey Bay Aquarium seafood ranking, so you know your meals will be fresh and flavorful. Make the sustainable choice this year. Every plate offers 100% of their delivery emissions and their meals have a 31% lower carbon footprint on average than supermarket meals of the same portion. Plus, nearly all packaging materials are curbside recyclable in most areas of the U.S. And we're able to find plenty to meet our family's dietary preferences. Adjustments and recipes are so easy since you're personally making the meal. You can swap spices or whatever you need. With tasty and diverse recipes every week, they're accessible for us all to find ones that work in all of our budgets. Get started with every plate for just $1.49 per meal plus $1 steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49WholeView. Subscription must be active to qualify and redeem the $1 steak. Get a meal for $1.49 plus $1 steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49WholeView. That's up to $110 value. I even use the code myself. It's a great deal. Check it out. Well, I want to get back to what we have established extensive science on, because right now my very scientific minded husband is rolling his eyes as big as they can be talking about photon energy. Okay. So now that we've established the idea that science supports this potential placebo effect that can be uh, profound in the impact on our physical health. Learning how to hack that for yourself can be a really powerful tool for healing. And on the show, we've previously talked about, we've talked before on the show about neural remapping, tapping, meditative benefits on several prior shows. I also mentioned the ketamine one, right? We All of these have their own sources and are in alignment with this concept. And one of the things that I think would be really helpful is if, Brandy, you can talk more about the specific work that you do with others on your own experience with seeing not just the short-term benefits, right, but you yourself have been out of a walker wheelchair for a long time. I myself have had um, long-term results of not needing back surgery from doing different kinds of things, including seeing doctors, physical therapy, different kinds of things, but also working on some of the things that I know you work with other patients on. Can you talk some about what that actually looks like, that specific work? Absolutely. So I think as far as getting results with mind-body healing, there's a couple of things that are really key. Uh, One thing is the awareness that our brains do work in patterns. So if we think about Freud's work for a moment and we think about repetition, compulsion, or reenactments, we can look throughout psychology and we can see that uh, people have patterned ways of thinking and feeling. Some people might feel uh, a pattern of sympathy or a pattern of self-criticism or guilt or anger. Everybody has different patterns. And so one of the things that I started to realize is I started, I like to analyze information and just be not attached to what it is, but just look at what's real. And the truth of it is we can see that stress affects the body. And the truth of it is we can also see stress doesn't affect the body in some cases. For example, 
there are people who have PTSD, who are very traumatized, who aren't sick. And then there are people who seem less stressed, who have things like cancer or terminal or all of these different health issues. Now, if we just said stress affects the physical body, we can obviously see that logic doesn't fully support that. And so we have to move beyond the surface information and really look at the depth to get results. And so that's what I've been able to do is look at it. And what I started to realize is that it takes multiple emotions. And a couple examples of that is an easy way to illustrate is to think about this, is that if somebody, if you want to make cake, for example, and you have flour, you can't make cake. But if you have flour and you mix it with eggs and butter and now you can make cake. So there's a certain ingredients. Obviously, pain and illness is not cake. So terrible analogy, but you get the point. Multiple ingredients. And so that's what was also fascinating about MPD, that somebody could have personalities that have zero pain or illness at all. And then they have other personalities that have pain or illness or asthma or blind. And so what I started to realize is that even if they had a negative personality that didn't have any health issues, is I started to realize it was a specific combination of patterned ways of thinking. And so that's what I help people do is I help them to understand that th these emotions that we can't see are affecting the body and that we have to identify the specific emotions. And just like we're using the simple awareness that if somebody's embarrassed, their face can turn red or sexual thought creates a sexual physical response. Um, all the time what happens and what I was doing during my injuries. I mean, I was meditating for years and years and years and years. And while it could help decrease my pain, it didn't heal my body. And I was going in theta state and doing all these things and trying to be happy and do affirmations. But what happened is when I really started to identify the specific emotions and these specific emotional patterns and then transform those, then really change them, that's when it was pivotal. And so that's what I'll do with people is I help them to understand the specific emotions and change them. And what I love about it is the way I look at it from a spiritual level is that it's like a gift. If you will, if you're driving a car and there's a check engine light on the car in our life, illness is that check engine light. Because if you think about it, if somebody has a pattern, let's say of guilt and self-criticism and if they spend the next 50 years of their life feeling guilt and self-criticism and guilt and self-criticism, and they've felt that way since childhood and they've always felt that way, or they address the patterns and they really change them to heal. And instead of feeling that way, they feel self-confidence, they feel self-love, they feel good. It's pivotal. And so that's what I love about mind-body healing is when you start to understand these patterns and how our brain works. And going back to repetition, compulsion, or reenactments, also what we're attracting in life, it's pivotal. It makes so much sense to me when I think about all of that in the perspective of CBT, which I've talked about on the show before. I'm a treatment foster parent. I've worked with teenagers who have extreme PTSD from simply being in the system, let alone what brought them to the system. And that is cognitive behavioral therapy teaches people your thoughts lead to what your experience, right? Like your lived experience is influenced by your thoughts. And if you can choose to think differently, we can create these different patterns to, just as you described, remap some of that stuff. And the idea that could impact our physical health is not just a concept, but is also incredibly backed by science. And when we think about the perspective of 
for example, if you are experiencing pain, you're more irritable, right? Like I know for me, when I was having chronic back pain from my injury, I was depressed and I was angry and I was in so much pain I couldn't think clearly and I was irritable. I wasn't as good of a mom. I was not a great partner, right? Like I was not my best self because I was in that cycle of pain. And so looking back at research, I said I was going to link everything to science in this show to, to make sure that no claims go without studies. There's a 2018 study that I found where it talks about pain being a risk factor for mental disorders. And specifically, it says that moderate to severe pain and interference due to pain are strong risk factors for first incident or recurrent mood and anxiety disorders, independent of other mental disorders. So when we think about the mind-body connection, not even looking at how the negativity might be creating the pain, right? But just if you are physically in pain, it is going to create the mental harm that is going to be this, like, I call the circle of badness, right? It's just oh. negativity upon negativity. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, when I was injured, part of my, the emotions that were impacting me were fear. It had to do with you know, my emotions connected to 9-11. And then what then happened is, of course, then I, I have this fear in my subconscious mind connected to 9-11. And then as I have more fear, now I can't work. And I, like I was injured and then I was er hurt and everything else. And what happened with fear? It went way up. And so that's a lot of times what can happen is the very illness or injury that we have definitely just continues to spiral us in the wrong direction. And also something that was interesting, you were talking about everything, just the, the medical research behind it. And there's this study where the, the study that was done with researchers recently, they showed that upper back pain stressors were different from lower back pain stressors. So talking about different emotions affect the physical body, that's actually, there's more research even showing that distinction as well. So it's, it's incredible that we see research, it is, it's catching up. It's, um, it's incredible. Separating the study that you've published, in case someone thinks there's bias, that medical studies are what they are, they're published without bias. But like, other than that, I found 13 valid and applicable PubMed articles just doing a cursory review, like not even going multiple Google pages deep in terms of looking at how the mind-body connection has this huge impact. So I want to just share a couple of them because I think they were mind-blowing for me in terms of what science has been able to link. So one from 2014 found that mind-body therapies for the self-management of chronic pain symptoms, and let me be clear, it included 146 randomized control trials in this large study analysis, 54 of which investigated mind-body therapies, and it completely recommended that the field and research need to move forward in this area because of how strong self-management and mind-body therapies were effective in terms of chronic pain symptoms. So when we look at some of those studies that it was referencing, one was from 2001, which states successful medical rehabilitation for patients with chronic pain requires appreciating three factors. One, appreciating the effects of bio 
psychosocial factors. So I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Two, understanding neurobiological mechanisms linking the mind, body, and brain. And three, being able to review critically the use selectively of medications, not just throwing all medications at things, and interventional technologies. So for me, then it went on to state that deficits in these skills now are recognized as hazardous to public health. So medical student, medical school education and post-residency training in pain medicine is now mandatory in some states. So I'm thinking like, does my current medical practitioner understand biopsychosocial factors? Absolutely not. No, but no doctor has ever asked me about my social factors. Am I living in poverty? Can I, do I have food insecurity? Different things like this, right? Yeah. Did you see the Surgeon General even released a statement regarding loneliness, saying it was as devastating and detrimental to your health? And I want to say it was something like as smoking 18, 18 cigarettes a day or something like that. It, it's incredible how much our emotions can affect our body. And I have to say, this is what I love about you, Stacey, is that like I have that same passion as far as you know, like showing people. That's actually, it's funny. When I first got better and I healed my myself, I thought to myself, people are going to think I'm nuts that I healed. And that's exactly. So I was like, I have to show them that it's possible. And so I started showing people. And then when I started speaking, I started like everybody just suddenly asked me to start speaking. So I'm speaking at different events and I would take people from the audience and I would show them how to use their mind to release their pain. And then I one time I was getting off the stage and I thought sometimes somebody's going to say, that person's a plant. They didn't really have neck pain or back pain. And I was like, okay, I got to show it under medical equipment. And that's when I started using thermography because I was saying that so people could visually see the difference. And so just listening to you and loving that the passion of the science. But look, it's here. It just I, I love that. It's beautiful. Friends, I wish I had better news, but the FDA has delayed the implementation of the first federal update to personal care laws, which means they still haven't been updated since 1938. And funding has been withheld to implement it and the EPA, PFAS, and other health protective legislation. It means we have to keep pushing our representatives for change and voting with our wallet. If you want to give the brand that literally changed America's personal care industry a try, I've got an exclusive offer for you. Give Beauty Counter a try with code CLEANFORALL20, and if you don't love it, you have 60 days to return it, no questions asked. Even better, let me recommend a few products for you. I love helping you pick out just the right thing to love the skin that you're in. Email me, stacy at realeverything.com if you want help. Made with sustainable, fair trade, and skin-nourishing ingredients, Beauty Counter is a B Corp focused on people and planet. Shopping with me supports my woman-owned small business, and you're voting with your wallet by choosing a certified B Corp whose mission is to put safer products into the hands of everyone through health protective laws and while giving back to people and the planet through sustainable, fair trade ingredients. Go to beautycounter.com slash Toth, just like any other website, and choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, so I can thank you. I am a science 
geek nerd at heart. I have four teenagers and we have raised them all. None of them wear glasses, but we've raised them all to be as nerdy as possible. I'm, I love a good nerd out. So I wanted to find, you mentioned loneliness. I wanted just to find for listeners specifically what biopsychosocial means. It's the biological, psychological, and social factors that influence things beyond just the physical that someone is looking at. And there's complex interactions and understanding the health, illness, and health care delivery that someone with varying degrees of these factors has. So for me, we talk about social determinants of health. This is another area where we see higher, worse health outcomes for people who are living in poverty, for example. And this would be an example of that because likely people are working more physically laborious jobs in stressful environments, underpaid. So we know that's a stressor in people's lives. Different kinds of factors that go into increased health ailments in communities of color and different kinds of things that can these people meditating solve those problems? No. Can being aware of them as a practitioner cause better care to someone so that they become aware of these things, they can work on improving them themselves. Like I just, I think that the other part of this that really speaks to me is the idea that it is accessible for everybody. And I think someone can't sell other than your services coaching. You can't sell someone something to help them heal themselves. Like there is no product that you can charge. There is no pill that you can sell them. And I think that makes it an area where people aren't focusing for a really long time and why it's impactful to think about the potential that this science being investigated now has for so many people because it's accessible and it's free to reframe your thoughts and to say, I deserve to be treated better than this. I'm going to demand a raise and I have the confidence to go forward and do these things. Totally. But making sure it's like, I'm going to kindly ask for a raise because I've seen people, I've recently worked with somebody who said, you know what, I deserve better and I demand and blah, blah, blah. And her pain was actually related to that because from her, the place she was doing it was a negative place. So you absolutely. Yes. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. And, and to your point, as far as the emotional, with optimism, studies have shown that optimism can actually increase your life by about 15% longevity. So yeah, so, no, there there's some great point. Harvard studies out there about happiness and giving to other people as being like the two factors that relate to longevity the most. And so that's where I think a lot of this also comes in is you feel good, you feel gratitude. A lot of the things that you talked about that we're going to get to shortly to have that positive. Sorry, I got distracted by a message coming through. Uh, we're going to talk about shortly what I think is really important is to recognize that some of these factors are beyond the scope of this negative thought process that we find ourselves in and putting ourselves in these small boxes and that we have, we have the, we can take our power back. I know it's such cliche, but that has the ability to affect our physical health. So woo woo as it is, I'm going to move us forward 
You I ready? love that. I just have to say, though, as woo as it is, just to think that thought on this, psychoneuroimmunology was actually discovered in the 70s, formed in the 70s. So almost 50 years ago, it was discovered that stress could affect the immune system. And just to the point of all, all of this, when I was researching through my own injury and I started noticing about how much stress could, in fact, impact the body, I thought, well, why aren't all of these people who have cancer or decreased immune system or all of these things, why aren't they implementing this? Like watching, looking at the studies and reading the studies one after another on psychoneuroimmunology and how mind affects the physical body and the immune system. And I just thought, well, why aren't we implementing this? And so uh, to your point, it, it's free. Like we, <laughs> well, not, o- not only is it free, but also if we tell people that they don't have to be part of um, a system of high performance and perfectionism, then it has a negative potential outcome on productivity and different kinds of things, which is where I personally think that helpism and all of these concepts all come into this idea that we should all be healthy so that we can be producing the most. And we live, if you look at how human lives have transformed over even just the last hundred years with go all the time, right? Like everybody's stressed all the time. And as a society, I think it's part of why we're so interested these days in meditating and yoga and practicing some of these things to calm us down because it, we we have to come back down off that roller coaster because it is not serving us as individuals. It might be serving the person we're producing for or those kinds of things, but it is um, not serving us. So that's my tangent on the the social factors and the um, tangential political thoughts on it. But I do. I, yeah, go for it. <laughs> so I just want to add to that. Uh, and, and I love that. And, and this is what I would say also is when you have that stress and then you do start to comment, but then you make sure and pivot it towards the positive. Because uh, to be honest with you, like I, I feel like a kid, like I have to put myself to bed. I want to do this and I want to do that. And I feel that aliveness. And that's what I see people experience all the time when you, it's like, and to the point, we want to be careful. And this is the reason is I see people who have, they feel like life is stressful, life is stressful, life is stressful. Okay. Let me meditate to relax. And then life is stressful, life is stressful. Let me meditate to relax. Now, what I've seen that do to people is our brains have a tendency to want to go to avoid pain, go towards pleasure. So what happens is we start training the brain to want to check out. And I've seen people who are so checked out. I I can't tell you how much I've seen people who are checked out. Their brain just starts checking out because it says life is stressful, life is stressful. Now I got to tell you, I've worked with people with Alzheimer's who had that exact same. So their brain was checking out because life felt stressful. So this is what I would say is everything that you're doing with your mind, your end goal is you always want to ask yourself, if your brain does this automatically, would it be a good thing? Mm -hmm. And this is why. Is that when we start to do things repeatedly, like we we learn to tie our shoes the first time we tie our shoes, it feels awkward and bunny ears and you mess it up. And then after a while you go to the gym or work out or go for a walk, whatever, you go to time, you don't even think about it. Or even if you've ever done this before where you drive a car 
if you've ever done this before where you're driving a car to a familiar destination and you get there and you realize you were checked out for part of the drive and you stop to think about it and you go, oh my gosh, like, did I stop at all those lights? <laughs> and it's because our brains, anything we do repeatedly, it starts to do it automatically for us. And so what I've seen is people who go, oh my God, life is stressful. Let me just meditate. Life is stressful. Then they, I've seen people who have been in a very uh, state because their brain just wants to check out all day long. So then they have a hard time focusing. Then they, it, so it, so what you want to do is even if you relax and you like, this is what I always tell people is that if you feel stressed and you go, oh, well, let me just picture myself at a waterfall. That's checking out. But if you feel stressed and you go, okay, look it, our thoughts help create our lives. Let me picture what I do want in life. Let me picture being in love. Let me picture a loving relationship or connecting or laughing or playing or whatever it is. Like go into your own commercial of what life looks like and what you want it to look like. So it's not an avoidance. It's saying, okay, look, I'm, yes, this was, and I'm going to shift and I really want this instead. So it's intentional instead of an escape feeling um, is something that I've seen a lot of. I think. Um, some of the activities that have shaped my being able to remap those narratives, right, of like wanting to escape or check out or pull back or whatever, is also the idea of being able to have a conversation with yourself about safety or whatever your fear or concern might be, because most of our emotions are coming from a place of sadness or fear. And so like if someone's angry, it's usually actually because they're either sad or fearful, right? Like they're secondary emotions. And if we can shape this, <laughs> do I, I like was, that? You're like my puppy, like sh shaking my head. Yeah. It's <laughs> a lot of the work and training that I have done, for example, in working with people who have PTSD and rage issues is we look at what is the underpinning problem is it's coming from a place of sadness or fear. And I think you even mentioned earlier, like things, your emotions being rooted about 9-11 was probably also sadness or fear. So it was um, a fear. Actually, it was a, a feeling of wanting to die for others, interestingly. But a lot of times, because I, I work with a lot of like celebrities or blah, 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 like people who may be demanding, and I'm not saying celebrities are, but some have been or whatnot. And a lot of times I'll see even just people use anger as a way to get what they want. So yes. I don't always see it as being fear or or whatnot. I see people can will control people with anger. Yes. Or, so I see anger expressed like in the reward center of the brain. So so I'll see somebody they get angry, they get their way, they're demanding. It's it, and then it triggers the reward center. And so that that's why I was like, oh well, that's I see a combination of things. So, yes, I would argue, and this is a com like a top. Conversation for a different day. I would argue that someone is controlling because their needs haven't been met in a different way. And so when we're talking about like inner child and core needs and stuff like that, if that person wasn't sad or fearful about some rooted thing that is unresolved in their lives, that they wouldn't have a need to be controlling to present anger. Right. So it's like we're going deeper and deeper. But yeah. I think we're saying the same thing. <laughs> so that said, we mentioned earlier some of the ways that we see this mind-body connection present. And I'm not going to go there in our conversation, but I do want to address the measurement factor. So one of the 
ways that we've said that we know this to be true is, for example, we can measure if you smell sugar, some people can have an insulin secretion response. So we can measure it hormonally. And you talked in your TEDx speak about how a study out of Harvard looked at stress and heart disease and was able to see, able to measure that aldosterone, is that how you pronounce it? The hormone that is related to cortisol has an emotional impact on the increased likelihood of cardiovascular disease. So, yeah, basically the study from Harvard, which was from Laura Kupzanski at Harvard, it was exactly people with emotional vitality had significantly reduced cardiovascular disease and people who were than people who were stressed. So it's and thinking about the awareness that cardiovascular disease is and heart disease is a number one cause of death. And it's been the leading cause of death for many years. It speaks volumes to say, wait a second. Emotional vitality can have a significant impact on that. It's it's eye-opening. And it was able to be measured by a hormone in the body. And so when we're looking at ways that we can measure, there's a multitude of ways. There was a 2004 PubMed article that suggested that there were was multiple ways in which you could measure these mind-body therapies. And one of the ways that they talked about was thermal biofeedback. And you've also talked about thermal imaging as a way to literally see the changes that can come from doing this work. And I think the side tangent that we had about, okay, if you're picturing yourself in a stressful situation and then you're picturing yourself escaping, that would probably have a thermal impact. But is that setting yourself up for the long-term repeatable results that you want in your brain response. And for me, I have been working really hard to get to a point where I don't need to escalate to get to pull myself back, but instead self-regulate just without needing to have the up and down. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you're actually seeing when you're doing this thermal uh, imaging to measure for pain and inflammation and some of these other factors that, um, again, I'll put some scientific studies in the show notes for people. Um, but I, if you could talk a little bit about how you're using that. Absolutely. So thermal it's been used to also monitor pain. And as you mentioned, also breaths, breast thermography. So there's different ways that we've seen it show up in, in our medical system. But Basically, what it does is any area that if you've ever had like a sprained ankle and you notice that it was emitting heat, this advanced medical thermography can pick up just the slightest difference in temperature, which has enabled it to see injury or illness or whatnot in the body. And so under these scans, let's say somebody has neck pain, then over the, their neck area, you'll see it on the scan. It shows red with inflammation. And what I've been able to do is show people and coach them to just release their physical, to release their stress, their specific emotion. So I help them identify the specific emotion. And as I do, you'll literally see the scan change from red to green as their pain goes away. And what's interesting, the, there was a study that I recently had published in the medical journal 
I, one of the, the uh, participants, I had no idea of this, but he had just come from a positivity seminar and then a 10-day meditation retreat. And when he came into the study, so I, I didn't have any idea at the beginning of that the, he just had done this, but he had a level six of pain in his back, upper back and neck area. And so I helped him to shift his pain. Now, his thought pattern had to do with like a resistance towards authority and also an expectation of getting his feelings hurt. But he had a strong like rebelliousness or resistance towards authority. And so what was interesting is then I helped him to shift his mindset around this and then also the expectation of getting his feelings hurt because he, there was a lot of there was patterns around that. So I helped him to shift these emotions and his pain went from six to a zero and you could see it on the scan. It went from his upper back and neck area being all red to it, it being green. And I asked him his levels, level of pain on a VAS scale and it zero. And then afterwards, he, that's when he said, he goes, wow, he goes, I just came from a 10 day meditation retreat. And he was able to do that. And it was, I believe it was about 28 minutes. And uh, so it's just, and I do want to be very clear. Let's say he left and he went back into that negative emotion. It would come back. So I have worked with people that I'll work with them and they get it and they go, okay, look, I am changing. That's it. I see the pattern. I see the awareness. I'm not going into it anymore. And they change. And I worked with other people who, as you said, Stacey, they might have life factors that are coming up. So I've worked with other people that it takes them longer because maybe they have a troubled relationship with their husband and it re-triggers it. So then there's some changing that they really need to do to integrate that change into their life. And so, uh, but that's how I use it is I just wanted people to see because I would have not believed that using the mind to release pain or heal the body. And I've seen people heal from all kinds of things. I would not have believed that it was even possible. And, but now research backs it up and it's incredible. I think it's interesting to think about because it was originally infrared thermography. Um, I always wonder, should it be thermography or thermography? It's using that temperature. Is it blood flow? Is our, like, I, I, as the science-minded person of me is like, what is causing that? But regardless, what we do know is that it is an indicator of either illness or inflammation or something like that. And so to be able to dissipate that can have profound effects as you've experienced. And I think for those of us who are sitting here now, like, oh, okay, yes, I have that person that you mentioned. What is he has a problem with authority? I'm like, I know nothing about that. I've never, <laughs> right? Like we're sitting here like, okay, maybe I have some mind mapping that I need to do. I like to always leave listeners with something positive and actionable that they can take to be of service either to themselves or if they're a parent to do with their children. So I'd love if maybe you could share some of the ideas either that you shared at the end of your TEDx on simple things that people can do, some tips to start to change our thought process. And then, of course, I will share with everybody. You can find Brandy at her brandygilmore.com where all socials are. You also have a new book coming out. So that would be a great place that people can start to do this work themselves. But what else would you recommend? This is what I would say, is that a lot of times if we've been through a challenging time or even getting to the next 
lifting ourselves. It, feel, it can feel hard to access new emotions. If somebody's felt unloved or hurt or whatever it is, to access the new emotions. And what I did during my injury, because suddenly being able to bring in positivity every day consistently, it would have been a challenge for me. Like I can suddenly just bring it in because this is the thing. It's to create a neural pathway. You have to, of course, do something consistently. Like the alphabet, you do it over and over, you establish new neural pathways. So how was I, in the state that I was in, in all of this pain, going to access positivity repeatedly? Now, what I did is I hacked the process and I chose a, a couple songs. Uh, one of them was Beautiful Day by U2. And it was the feeling of feeling like it's a beautiful day, don't let it slip away. Which, of course, here I was in extreme pain on morphine in all this pain and listening to that song, it's a beautiful day, don't let it slip away. So not, I didn't just listen to it like we've all heard of a positive playlist okay it's not that that's like listening to the german alphabet then the french alphabet then the chinese alphabet mandarin alphabet and blah 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 like if you just listen to a bunch of things it doesn't create new neural pathways and so i actually called it neurotransformational music technique where it's you just pick one or two songs and then you purposely amplify the feelings as much as possible because as you do that can also help trigger the release of dopamine which can make you happier. So that's what I would do. And another song I listened to was Katrina and the Waves Walking on Sunshine. And so I would literally like feel the feeling as intensely as I could and then just relax and go back. And I would do that over. And it was like a dopamine hit and training my nervous system, training my neural pathways. And it didn't change my life in a day, but it did as I continued to do it and also understand how to really rewire my mind and, and the emotions and all of that. Um, it was so helpful to be able to repeatedly access positive emotions that I don't know if I otherwise would have been able to access those emotions consistently, repeatedly over and over. And so that to me was a, a pivotal hack. I love that. I have um, a teenager with PTSD and we have like a happy song list and it's songs that when they're feeling negative thoughts start to take over we put on that song list and we have the experience that you had right like this whether it's a dopamine hit or you are remembering good times to tell yourself to find those neural pathways of like it's not always what it is in this moment if that moment is bad and different kinds of things like that so anyway i love that you also said changing physiology and you had the audience kind of bend over. Can you say that one? Because I thought, wow, that one's a really powerful one that we can be more aware of. Absolutely. And sometimes I'm, I'm playful and I use different examples, but I think the example I used in that one was to, as I had everybody in the audience like hunch over and feeling hunched over and really hunch over. And I said, okay, now bring in the feeling of feeling sexy or confident. How easy is that to do? And then instead, if you have your shoulders back and you feel good and you're, you change your physiology, now bring in the feeling of feeling confident or sexy or good about yourself. It's so much easier. And so changing our physiology can definitely help us also to access new emotions and feel them and much easier, which is important for getting them in repeatedly. I love it. Sim simple thing that had like a huge impact for me. So I appreciate the a physical analogy and example there. Uh, listeners, I want to thank you for listening to the show. You can find 
Brandy and her new book, Master Your Mind and Energy to Heal Your Body. You can be your own cure at brandygilmore.com and on all socials, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Looks like you, like myself, are not on the TikTok bandwagon. I tried. I just couldn't, but I tried. (laughs) All links are, I'm sure, on your website if people just go to brandygilmore.com and I want to thank listeners for your patience and um, being here and being open to um, listening and learning because no one is perfect. But in being able to learn and unlearn, we can choose to become better versions of ourselves for ourselves. If you found this show too, we'll go check out all of the show notes at realeverything.com. We have, let's see, 25 scientific references for you. And I hope that they are helpful. I know researching this show was like a journey I did not expect to take. But once I got started looking into this stuff, I just was really fascinated. And I think that it's an area of science that we're going to hear about more and more. So maybe in a couple of years, people will be like, I can't believe they thought that this was at all. This is completely different. (laughs) Exactly. Randy, thank you for your time and for being here. Stacy, I just absolutely adore you. You're beautiful. Thank you for geeking out with me on all of this. I love this research stuff also and just showing it. That's showing people, hey, we really are amazing. So it's your heart. You're just your beautiful being. So thank you for having me. I love your positivity. I'm working on it. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.